Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. My name is Mel. I'm Janet. Hi, and I'm Leo. Today's episode is a conversation that's been requested by a number of our listeners, um, and it is to talk about the topic of Asians in porn. It's a little bit spicy. Uh, We feel compelled to cover this topic for a couple of reasons. One, the topic of sex, pornography, and sex work in general still has a little bit of a taboo perception, I think, especially within the Asian culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secondly, most of us know that within Western media, Asian women are generally fetishes. Asian women are generally fetishes. Fetishized. Fetishized. Yes. I can't say that word. I thought you were saying Fetishized. And Asian men are generally emasculated. So we want to kind of dig into a bit of that, especially within porn. Um, And also, we're just curious about the porn industry Mm because we don't know very much about it. And we're, you know, maybe you don't either. So we want to kind of have a conversation around that. Um, And today's guest that we are bringing on actually came up as a candidate because interestingly enough, he was working a corporate career while he was transitioning into this line of work. And so we are really interested to hear his perspective. Yes. So let's a little bit about our guest, Leo. Leo was born in Taiwan and moved to the United States as a child and grew up in the Bay Area, Bay Area, eventually settling in Los Angeles. After graduating from college, he began his corporate career and just a few years ago decided to pursue a new career as an adult performer. No small feat, especially because there aren't a lot of Asian male porn stars. We cannot wait to hear what led Leo to where he is today and his thoughts on Asian representation and the porn industry. Wherever you stand on the topic, we hope you'll lean into curiosity and listen with an open mind and heart because Leo's story is fascinating. And with that, let's please welcome Leo Vice to the Asian Boss Girl Podcast. Welcome, Hi, Leo. Leo. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Hi. I'm so, so honored to be here right now. So We are very excited yeah. for this conversation. I know. <laughs> so let's just get started. I... First off, Bay Area native, Bay Area native. Yes. Can you describe your like childhood and your upbringing? Um, yeah. So the childhood is... Uh, I moved to the Bay Area, but I moved to a part of the Bay Area that didn't have Asian people, oh, right? Yeah. So so me and my brother were like the Asian kids, mm. right? My family was the Asian family and mm. all that stuff. So it was very kind of isolating in that sense. Mm. And I do think that's probably what is one of the many factors that led me down this line of work is, you know, like be the inspiration that childhood you needed. Yeah. And growing up in a community in an area without a lot of Asian representation, a lot of Asian people, not seeing Asian uh, representation or positive a- Asian representation mm. in Western media and so forth. Um, I will admit it made me a shy, kind of quiet, introverted kid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, there's a lot of things that go to it. But my childhood was, for the most part, pretty... 
normal is a weird one, right? Because like, <laughs> what every, is everyone, normal, you know, right? everyone yeah. thinks their childhood is normal. So you're still telling someone about it and they're like, that's not normal at all. <laughs> um, but no, it was fun. It was a good childhood. Um, I, you know, had friends in the neighborhood. I grew up, I uh, ended up doing sports and started skateboarding and things like uh. that. Just kind of a, kind of like what you would think a very all-American kind of childhood yeah, would yeah, be, right? Okay. So, yeah, no, and then that was, yeah. Um, like a nice little little neighborhood kid. Yeah. yeah. Did you stay local for college, or what did you do? Uh, no, I actually went to college down here in Southern California. Oh, so okay. um, Stayed in California, but just the other part of yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And then what did you study, and then what did you, like, kind of go into work-wise? Oh, so... Interesting enough, I wanted to study film or like art or something like mm -hmm. that. But again, Asian parents, yeah, they didn't yeah, really yeah. see a future and all that stuff. So um, I have my bachelor's degree in political science. Oh, yeah. I started off trying to do business. And after like one semester, I was just like, no, this is not for me. Also, I, I grew up in a family where both my mom and my dad, they both ran their own businesses. So mm -hmm. I kind of knew that, like, you don't need a business degree to run mm -hmm. a business. Yeah. You, you're learning a bunch of hypotheticals and theoreticals, but, like, running a business is just actually just running a business. Yeah. So it didn't make sense to spend all that time doing that. And politics was something that I inadvertently fell, I don't want to say fall in love with. I didn't really fall in love with it until, like, the higher ed part of college, but mm -hmm. I got interested in it because um, The Daily Show, Jon Stewart, mm -hmm. and like, yeah. um, it was my nightly routine in high school was like, I would, I would, you know, come back from practice and all that stuff, be exhausted, do homework, mm -hmm. this and this, whatever. And then I would watch The Daily Show. And then that was kind of like my cue afterwards, like time to go to bed, get ready for the next uh, day. Yeah. And I didn't understand the politics of this show, but I understood the humor mm -hmm. and the comedy. And as I started paying more and more attention to it, um, I started understanding, oh, okay, it's even more hilarious of like the asinine things politicians were doing mm. so by that point i when i came to pick a major i was like let's let's study politics let's uh let's really dive deep into this here. yeah <laughs> how interesting so it's like yeah. your interest in like media that still kind of directed you in that yeah. way <laughs> but then you ended up going into graphic design right right so after after graduating with my political science degree it's one of those degrees that unless you're going to go and get like a, a master's or a doctorate you're yeah. not really having huge opportunities in the world of politics or political science or whatever mm. open up to you mm -hmm. uh, or, or you could go the law school route right but yeah. I didn't go any of those routes so I was working for my brother with a startup business that he had and because I still had the the, the burning creative passion to do like art and film and things like that I sent myself back to community college um, and initially it was for kind of film but during my college years I taught myself filming editing and all that stuff uh through skateboarding making oh. skate videos with friends and all that stuff so i kind of understood lighting mm. composition mm. like angles because you know we would be doing that all the time skating yeah and i understood editing because i was just editing these videos so taking beginner film and editing classes didn't really make sense to me mm -hmm. so i started taking um like animation photoshop illustrator those type mm -hmm. of classes because um I thought it would be a good supplement to my already filmmaking mm -hmm. skills. Makes sense, yeah. And so I learned the basics of that stuff. And when my brother found out I was taking those classes, he was like, hey, do you want to do design work for the company? And it's like, well, design work's better than being in the warehouse all day long. So I spent half the day in the warehouse and then the other half the day at my desk doing design work. And that's uh, a couple years of doing that. And next thing you know, 
I became a competent graphic designer. <laughs> That's really cool. Wow. And then, and you developed a career essentially. Like, you want to talk about kind of like your corporate career that you were doing? Prior yeah, yeah. To um, so after that, having a couple of years of design under my belt, um, it was really trial by fire type of thing. Just you know, like so then we had to do a magazine ad, so I had to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so by that point. Um, I had a falling out with my brother and I, I left the family and I was on my own. Uh, I started looking for work and I applied to a one of the major video game publishing companies and um, they were looking for a um, design assistant at the time and I happened to have just the the bare minimum requirements to meet that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I went in, had the interview with them, talked to them and so forth. And they like my portfolio, they like my uh, attitude, they like my story and all that stuff. So they gave me a chance. Quick, like, you know, like, we'll give you like a one-year temp contract. We'll just kind of test this out. Actually, I think it started off with like a six-month temp contract. And we'll Mm -hmm. like test this out. Six months came and they're like, hey, we'll extend this the next six months to see what's going on. And then six and a half years later, I was still there. And they were just like, they gave me the full time, this and this. Um, I learned a lot with them and grew. But definitely the the self-taught stuff got me in the door. Mm -hmm. And then it was just really putting in the work and effort to to really keep polishing and improving to be at that high corporate level. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to name the exact company that I worked at, but there's a very high likelihood you've seen my work somewhere. Oh, that's really cool. Wow. Dang. So can you share with us like how you got into adult entertainment from, mm. so the setting is you're working your corporate job. Right. It's a quite cushy, it sounds like, yeah. and pretty reputable like video game. What kind of what kind of drew your interest into? So it's still related to the video game industry thing. So when I was first getting into the video game industry, VR was the new hot thing, and everyone was talking about it in the world mm-hmm. of video games, right? VR technology—it's like revolutionary and breaking through and so forth. And um, and at this point, I'm living in San Francisco as a like mid to late twenties single bachelor in San Francisco, I'm going through my man whore phase. I'm just on <laughs> Tinder, I'm swiping, I'm hooking up, I'm yeah, like yeah. having fun. There was this one woman that I was um, hooking up with and she was super nice, super sweet, and she's great. And she has friends that were having a VR startup company in porn out in Vegas. They were like shooting full 360 panoramic shots out in the desert and things like that. And um, because VR was such a hot buzz going on in the video game world, I had the opportunity to invest in their startup business. Oh. So I was like, okay, well, there's a potential there. Let me buy a ticket to the big like porn trade show mm. and see what the competition, what everyone's doing in the world of VR and what's going on over there. Yeah. So my first time ever going to AVN, uh, which is like the big porn convention, it's like the one, right? And it wasn't with any intention of me getting into porn. It was me just doing research on what's going on in the world of mm-hmm. porn and VR. Mm. What is the competition? What is uh, is porn jumping on this VR bandwagon? Because everyone in the video game world is buzzing about VR, but is like I've always heard porn is very very good early adopters of new technology. So that's oh, why it's like let's see what they're doing over there. Let's see whether this is worthwhile for me to invest yeah. in. And just absolute pure luck. Uh, they put me in a hotel room that was on the same floor with a lot of the talents. So, like, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So I yeah. would oftentimes run into girls uh, like both on the floor and on the hotel room and this like the, the hotel room floor and all that stuff. And um, there was this one performer. She's not in the industry anymore now, but she was just constantly flirting with me and you know um, just kind of like, hey, you're really good looking. He just thought about getting into porn, this and this and so yeah, forth. Yeah. And there was a couple other girls that kind of hinted at it and so forth, just kind of like a wink nod, like really flirty kind of thing. Yeah. But it was, 
it was the beginning of realizing that well if the girls are willing if the talent is willing to work with me mm. that's already half the that's half the equation mm. right there yeah, right? Yeah, right like i still wasn't 100% sure whether or not agencies or the industry would be interested in me but at least talent is willing to work with me. So yeah. that kind of got the ball rolling on the idea there. I ended up not investing in the VR company because every other major porn company with massive deep pockets mm. and the connections, they were all doing VR stuff. So it didn't make sense to throw my little money into the small startup company to try to fight the giants. Yeah. Um, but it got the idea, it got the seed planted in my head of mm. like, there's a potential here. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until many years later where I fully started getting kind of disillusioned with the corporate life, you know, because mm -hmm. as nice of a fancy dressing as video games are, at the core structure, it's still a corporate entity, right? Yeah. I'm still taking orders from top down. I'm I'm still not really doing what I want to do. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm being bossed around by some other department head somewhere else that at the end of the year doesn't even dictate whether I get a bonus or not, right? Yeah. Um, so... That led me to trying to figure out like what my next move is. What can I do that would really be happy and fulfilling for me? Yeah. It wasn't even the idea of porn. It was that if I could do anything with my life, I would make skate videos all day. Mm -hmm. Like I would go out and make skate videos. But there's zero dollars made in skate videos. Like you make no money in those things. Um, skate companies produce skate videos as a marketing expense. It's mm. to help market and sell the products. Mm -hmm. The video itself makes no money. Mm. They lose money on those things, so they just write it off as a marketing expense, and then they sell product in the meantime. So mm -hmm. like, me just simply doing skate videos was not gonna pay the bills. Yeah. Um, but sex always sells, and well, <laughs> this was an opportunity for me to take control of my own filmmaking, make content that I want to make or in the direction that I want to make. Mm. And there is a market. It is monetizable. You can mm. actually pay your bills. So that's kind of the really long story of how I ended up committing to doing this, going yeah. down this path. <laughs> wow. Sorry. I'll that is it. actually, it's fascinating to listen to you talk about it because it's like you're mm. really approaching it as an entrepreneur, essentially. Right. You're like assessing the industry, essentially, yeah. like product market fit. <laughs> like, would people wanna like work with me? Um, how how could I kind of take control of my own like career? Right. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think a lot of it is that because I've been in so many different businesses before getting into this one, my view coming in is that at, at this point, um, all businesses kind of operate the same way. Mm. People, uh, uh, that's kind of the point of this podcast is demystify porn, right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's just like any other entertainment product or just any mm -hmm. product in general. You create the product, you market the product, then you sell the product, and then you invest that back into creating a new product, and mm. then the cycle continues. Uh, since having done that with, I did that with physical, tangible products when I was working with my brother. I've helped my dad with his, and his was a, a consulting business. So mm. it's a it's a abstract, non-tangible product that still is the same yeah. concept. And then with video games, it's digital products and things like that. So going into porn, it's very understandable. Like I knew the steps, I knew mm. the thing. And the idea of just create the product, market the product, sell the product, repeat the cycle. Yeah. Um, I've lived it so many different times that going into this, the, the mentality is exactly the same, That's you know? true. I didn't think of it that way. But I think for me, like, would you say, like, one, I feel like going to that conference, like, kind of built up this, like, confidence in yourself. Like, I can maybe mm. be a performer, but... I think, were you ever like, oh, like before you made a decision, were you like kind of like 
you have to be very secure with your body and yourself mm, and your like yeah. sexual performance. Were you like thinking like were you, were you ever questioning that? You're like, oh, I'll be good on porn. Like, would you like? <laughs> I'll be fine. I, I think a uh, younger me would have definitely questioned this. Mm. Like, this is not something like an 18, 19 year old me would have been confident doing. Mm. But again, um, my man whoring phase in San Francisco definitely <laughs> helped a Built lot. Up the like, you know, like when you get a lot of practice and and it was the thing is it wasn't it wasn't me asking these girls like, Hey, do you think I could do porn? It was uh, one person in particular I was hooking up with. She just in the middle of it was just screaming out like, Oh my God, this is just like being in a porn. Oh my God. And I was uh, like, okay. Uh, oh shoot. <laughs> that was a great boost of confidence to yeah. me. And then again, with some other people that I, I was, I was hooking up with and so forth, they kind of made comments and things kind of like, Hey, you're kind of good at this whole like sex thing. And mm. like, like I thoroughly don't mind coming over here, and I'm I'm living kind of in like a not like the 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 worst part of San Francisco, but it's not exactly like the nicest part of yeah. San Francisco. And um, women were taking the journey to my place, so it's like <laughs> you know like like you know maybe the, you know your what you're giving is right. your product yeah. is obviously yeah. sorry. Right. <laughs> Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Okay, so now you made that decision. Like, how did you even get started? Like, were you like, okay, obviously you have like an interest in editing, filming. Did you, were you, I guess, like self, like self shooting right away? Or you're like, I'm going to find an agent. Yeah, no. So I started off self producing. And the idea was always that, um, because much like most people from the outside looking in, it it seems like the porn industry is kind of hostile towards Asian male performers, Mm -hmm. right? And so like I knew, knew coming in that, there's got to be a market for this because there's Asian people like in America, around the world and so forth. And there's not a lot of content's being made with an Asian male representation. Yeah. And there's got to be women out there who are into Asian men and they're not able to get that because there's not a lot of it out there. Yep. And there's Asian there's Asian men who would like to live vicariously through an avatar mm. that they could relate to. They're not really getting that. We have Japan as an industry, but like their content is so different than mm, what American content right, is. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, just purely culturally that I don't think it's satisfying the Asian American uh, appetite for that. So I knew I couldn't bank on other people creating the content I wanted or mm. booking me enough or so forth. So I came in 100% from the beginning with the idea that I'm going to have to carry this entire thing on my back. I'm going to start my own production studio. I'm going to have to shoot my own stuff. I'm going to have to do all the heavy lifting myself because I can't just rely on handouts like that. Yeah. I can't just just wait for someone to give me an opportunity like that. If I want to be successful, I need to go make my opportunity. And so 
going in, that was the mentality, that was the mindset. And I started um, my career by self-producing my first, you know, 12 or so scenes, hiring the performers, shooting it myself, editing, creating everything, marketing it, promoting, getting out there and, and all that stuff. So wow. that's very was, impressive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because there's like multiple roles that you have to like multiple hats you have to wear to be able to get something like that done. Right? Oh, right. And it was a, a, a pretty steep learning curve, too, because, uh, you know, agents, the, the, one of the main reason points of an agent in the industry is to keep out the riffraff, the, the random guys that's like, hey, so I'm starting this porn website. And, yeah, this, yeah. Listen, I wanna, and they're just like, yeah, right, for yeah. sure. You just get away from the girls, right? Yeah. Um, so I had to actually do a lot of traveling. I was going to the events in person, meeting people, talking to people in person, and luckily I met somebody who, um, I met a couple people who were willing to give me a shot. One of them was like, hey, I'm willing to give you a shot, but you still need to go through my agent, jump through the hoops, and then let them know that I've said that it's mm. okay. So mm -hmm. I still had to do the whole process, which was good for me to learn, like, how do you approach an agent? How do you be professional in this industry? Because yeah. coming in as a professional from the corporate world, I, I think my emails look nice, yeah. but then you find out like, oh, this is film and entertainment. Like they're expecting other type of stuff. They're expecting like a call sheet, wardrobe, oh, this, yeah. th things that I don't think about because that's not the world I came mm, from. Right. So having gone through all those hoops and so forth, eventually he's finally like, okay, let me ask her about you. And he's like, okay, you know, she, she remembers you. She said, yes, it's fine. It's good. Let's book that shoot. And, um, I, because I shot with her and another person who were f from the same agency, it kind of gave me the green light with that agency to like, okay, this guy's cool. He's been vouched for. He's like legitimate. Mm. So I was able to book more talent from that agency. And then from there, it's a large industry, but it's a small industry in the um, it, what we call like the mainstream circuit of it. Mm. And so everybody kind of knows it. So after that, once I got in good with one agency and started shooting with some people, they spread the word to their friends. And mm. then I was able to start shooting with other people. And then they got me with other agents. Agencies and wow. that's kind of how I was able to produce the content and get things going. <laughs> well, you're like pretty much your own. Like you do the booking for your talent yourself, and then like the set, like directing, and then like also right. talent and producing. <laughs> that's a lot. And, yeah, lighting, camera. Like, how do you know how you look like on camera when you're like not <laughs> right. looking at the, the camera in the shot? Right, trial and error. Just like, you know. Like, <laughs> I also did a lot of research into it too because mm. I had the same problem. Was like, how do you frame these properly? How do you do yeah. these shots? Right. And it was a tricky thing, but um, shout out to Owen Gray. I he he had pretty much solved my dilemma when I stumbled across some of his films. I was like, oh, he figured out the angles, the shots, <laughs> the things. He figured out how to do what I already had in my mind, mm. but he was already doing it. So. Mm. Um, you know, it's that thing. It was like uh, creativity is heavily inspired by other creative oh, yeah, people, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and I was yeah. like, yeah, no, I, I was heavily inspired. It, it helped me understand how to frame things and do things a little bit better. So um, that's that helped me a lot. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you really hustled and you really like researched and um, you did so much to kind of like get yourself into this industry right. and then become successful. Um, how did you like? How did your family find out? What has that dynamic been like? <laughs> so, uh, as I mentioned before, I had a falling out with my brother, so we haven't really mm. we haven't really spoken in a long time. Um, so, when I left the family, I had a falling out with everybody in the family. So, I went a couple years without speaking to anybody, just full no contact. And um, once I got pretty established at the the video game company mm -hmm. I was at, you know, I was fully independent at this point. I had my own healthcare, taking care of everything. I was good. And I started having that kind of that not like a weird not like a nagging feeling, but just sort of this weird uh, feeling of 
I'm getting older. My parents are getting older. You never know what life's gonna throw at you. Yeah. And I don't want to regret that something tragic happens, and I had not made amends with my parents. Mm-hmm. So now that I was fully independent, and I didn't, I, I wasn't gonna fall into any sort of like a uh, situation where I, I kind of get sucked back into the power vacuum of the, your parents, right? So I felt that it was safe for me to kind of reach out to them and. Um, it took a while, but there was this understanding of where they went wrong with things. Um, the, they had the best intentions in yeah. mind, but obviously, you know, that's saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like mm-hmm. they had good intentions, but they constantly were messing up my trajectory in life. So that's kind of why I had to leave was like, I, I can't, I can't be myself and live my life and find happiness as long as I keep doing what you guys keep thinking I'm supposed to be doing mm-hmm. with my life. Mm-hmm. So without any of that, I was able to reach back out to them. They understood where they kind of fucked up. They understood that like saying that you support your child and actually supporting your child are two different things. Mm. You can say it all you want, but you need to actually support them for it to matter. Yeah. And so by this point, when I'm actually going to get into this industry and such, um, I had the opportunity. I had the connections. I had uh, I had gone back to the convention again many years later talked to some agents and so forth i found out those buzz about like hey people were very interested in me and so at this point i i i call my i call my dad and i was kind of like hey i'm gonna come home and have lunch and talk to you guys in person because if i'm not mature enough to talk to you guys about this this is something i'm not mature enough to be doing in the first place mm. so i go home that weekend i you know sit down my dad's got this kind of concerned look like hey come in sit down mom's already prepared lunch let's let's talk and so forth and um i i you know sit down and just kind of like all right well you know what let's just rip the band-aid off this thing and i just tell him I was like i have the opportunity to do porn and I'm most likely going to take it. And there's not a lot of Asian male performers in this industry. So it's not like a, a sea of Asian dicks I could just hide behind and be like, that wasn't me, guys. Like, um, <laughs> yes. So I knew fully that, like, the chances and likelihood mm. that, you know, one of the cousins, one of mm, my brother, yeah, like, yeah. somebody finding it is pretty high. Yeah. So let me just tell you guys right now. So that way, like, this is the courtesy conversation yeah. we're having. We don't need to talk further about this all the time. I don't need to mention this to you guys, but, like, if you hear the rumors at the family reunion, if you hear, mm. like, so forth, don't say I didn't warn you guys, you know, and, like, yeah. so forth. And um, my dad's reaction is was just, like, you know... <laughs> It's both funny and kind of sad. It was just like, oh, thank God, like, you're not gay. Like, he thought I was going to come out the closet to him about that. And it's like, it's funny in the sense that that was his big concern. But it's also, it's like, you know, homophobia in Asian community. It's like, ah, my parents are pretty westernized. So you would think that's better. But it's still, you know, kind of default back to the old traditional way sometimes. But it sounded like you basically had established, like, enough independence from them. It was because you called it, you were like, this is a courtesy. Like, I'm not asking for permission. I already have... I've, I, you know, I can take care of myself. I've established myself, mm-hmm. and I'm just letting you know. And so you almost like didn't really care, really, what they would think. Right. No, that's exactly what mm-hmm. it was, and that's also where at that point, you know, I'm older in my life. I think I've, I'm mm-hmm. probably in my early 30s at that point. They've seen me completely cut everybody off and thrive on my own. Mm-hmm. So they're at this point. They're like, you know what? we've understood in the past we think we know what's best for you but you know what's best for you. Yeah, we're seeing it right now that you're doing what you're doing, and you've just in that short amount of time, completely put your life back on the track you wanted to be, found success, is doing pretty well. 
so if you believe that this is the path that you need to go, who are we to tell you no? Because obviously we don't understand your life journey, mm -hmm. right? Like um, they kept thinking they did. And that was the whole problem was yeah. I had a vision. I had a plan. They didn't understand it. So they kept derailing me. And then this time they're just like, you know what? We trust your decision making. We trust you. Whatever you're deciding to do, we support you now. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we're at. <laughs> that's good. Okay. So I do want to talk about dating okay. because that's a very popular topic on this podcast. Obviously, you know, you had... You know, you're in the you're in the industry now. Like when you meet someone for the first time and they ask you, like, what do you do for a living? Like, how do you respond to that question? Um, I'm pretty open about it. It just depends on the setting and the situation, right? Obviously, if it's like I meet somebody who's got their kid with them and so forth, I'm gonna be very kind of vague about it and so forth. If I'm just talking to another adult in an adult yeah. setting, I was like, Yeah, no, I, I this is what I do and so forth, right? Um, so, and, and usually, especially when it comes to dating, this mm. is something I really want to be upfront about because it's like you should know these things about me so that I don't accidentally violate your boundaries mm. without any of us setting even what the boundaries are, right? So usually when it comes to meeting uh, women and stuff like that, I'm very open about this. It's like, hey, this is what I do. This is this and this is that. This is this is who I am, right? Yeah, yeah. I do, you, do you have a preference to date people in the industry or out of the industry? Um, I'm currently dating somebody who's in the industry mm -hmm. and I think there's pros and cons to both. I, I recommend people who are in the industry to have support that is outside the industry so you don't get mm -hmm. sucked up in the bubble all the time, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of it is very kind of high schoolish at times because, um, again, like I said, when you're in the sort of the... There's only so many people that kind of do what we do. So yeah. you all kind of know each other or at least know mm. of each other. And then because everyone's working with each other, stories start spreading, things like this. And then a lot of gossip and all these things kind of occur. So it, it can get very kind of high school-y at times where it's like you get trapped in this little bubble of your own community. And you start thinking the most important thing that's happening is what's happening in the porn world. Yeah. Where it's like, no, 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 it's nice to be grounded and stabilized a little bit. Um, and I'm very lucky that I have my my good group of friends that um, none of them are in the industry. So um, sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll be complaining about a real work problem and all they'll do is just rag on me. And <laughs> just, just just rip me to shreds. You'd be like, oh, really? That's a real problem? And it's like, like it is a real problem. But yeah, the the... Having you guys keep me grounded, that's yeah, like, yeah, yeah that's fine. It's, it's, you know. But with that, though, it's it's also nice to have someone who understands the problems, yeah. right? It's nice to have somebody that when you're talking about like, oh, I had a hard day at work, they're not going to just suddenly make fun of you. Oh, a hard day at oh, work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're going to be like, oh, no, it's like, I understand. It happens. It's like, it's work. It's an actual thing. Mm -hmm. It's, you know. Uh, so there's the pros and cons to, to both of those. Right now I'm with somebody who's in the industry, so it's mm -hmm. great to, when we, either one of us have a day, whatever's, we can vent to each other about it and we both understand, like, okay, I understand where you're coming from, mm -hmm. this is yeah, fine. Yeah. I know what you need right now is just like, vent, relax, hang out time, we're good. Like, Is it hard for you or for her to like see each other work with other people just because of the nature of your work and being physical with other other performers and um no i think i think this just goes back to to the core of who we uh, are as individuals because yeah. um even before getting into this industry mm -hmm. i was already kind of exploring um relationship dynamics that weren't the standard traditional monogamous relationship mm -hmm. so i always always kind of knew that's like my belief is some people are wired for monogamy and that's great and that's wonderful but other people are not. And mm -hmm. they're wired for more like polyamory or whatever's. And you should just find what works for you. Mm -hmm. And having been in long-term monogamous relationships, I kind of realized that 
it's not really the thing for me. Mm-hmm. So going into this industry, I was already sort of polyamorous in the first place. And my partner, um, she also is polyamorous as well. So both of us, like, so that's why this kind of works out really well mm-hmm. for us. That's like, okay, cool. We can both do our thing. And then also we were pretty much platonic friends for about a year, year and a half or so before we started dating. Got so it. during that time, we were just purely friends. We were already encouraging each other to go on dates and like do yeah, stuff. Yeah. We've already seen each other's content, you know, yeah. like, sorry, like no secret there. We've already seen the videos. They're already out. Right. Yeah. And then like, you know, it'd be like, hey, do you want to date? How'd it go? Oh, you slept with that dude? Great. Wonderful. Awesome. And then yeah. she'd be the same thing. It's like, oh, did you get lucky with that girl last night? Awesome. So we were already at that point. Mm-hmm. But then like, you know, as we started developing more and more intimate rela- like feelings for each other. Our relationship dynamic hasn't changed. It's just now when people ask, it's like, yes, that's officially my girlfriend. And, mm, you know, okay, like, you have a title on it now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dang. That's so interesting. I'm fascinated by like what, like at what point did it turn romantic? Because I think a lot of people associate physicality with like mm-hmm. intimacy, right? Right. But if you guys were, for you, if if the physical was like not maybe the point, like what what created, or what was like the most intimate moment for you that felt like, wow, I really like have feelings for her. Um, I think it was just hanging out with this person. And again, like, it's not to say we didn't have sex before we started, because we're both performers. The first time we met, um, <laughs> like not the very first time we met, we yeah. met at a convention in person for the first yeah. time. And literally the next day she comes over and we shot content together. Uh, yeah. So it's like, so we've we've had sex, right, but right. it wasn't the, the foundation of our relationship. The foundation of our relationship was us hanging out and just being friends and like enjoying the same shows i introduced her to one of my favorite shows and she binged that with me and like we would just hang out and she would complain about her day and this and this i'd watch her dog when she's at work and all this stuff so we really started like Mm. we started going on going to like just you know doing things um from an intimate level right yeah yeah. And, and just building that that connection as people yeah and towards the end like we were we were we started having sex more than we did at the beginning, but it was, still wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like, like, yeah, we just got to keep fucking all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was performing. Like, it right. Was, yeah, yeah. It was just like, yeah, it was just the two of us and so forth. And um, at a certain point, we just kind of realized that like, hey, you know, we're already pretty much doing the boyfriend-girlfriend That's thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're already living that lifestyle. And I'm pretty sure we both have feelings for each other, mm-hmm. like, in that way. So let's just, yeah, let's just make it official. Dang, okay. Leo, thank you so much for kind of walking us through like your relationship and stuff. But we got to get back to the industry and the work. I feel like a lot of people have a lot of curiosity about this, including myself. (laughs) Can you kind of walk us through like the setup of a scene? Like, I think you walked through like you kind of like did your research, like finding the right angle Mm -hmm. in the shot. But like, I'm just curious, like when you talk to like your other co-performer, um, in the scene, are you guys like saying like, oh, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm turned on by this. So like that way, when the camera starts rolling, mm-hmm. you guys know what the erogenous zones to hit, or is it more like, we'll roll, let's see what happens, and I'll cut a bunch of shit out if it doesn't work. So like, what's your process with that? So yeah, I think everybody, when we start doing a scene, yeah, before the scene, uh, whether it's your personal content shoots or you're on a more of a mainstream set, uh, we have a do's and don'ts, mm-hmm. and we have a moment where we kind of go through and during this time is when we we show each other our tests you know to make sure that like our um 
or we have full panel STD screening every 14 days to be eligible to work. Mm. So you show the test, be like, hey, everything's good. I'm, you know, my test panel is clean. Uh, then you start going over your do's and don'ts. Um, you're like, hey, don't do this. These things are off limits. Or And then these things are the things I do like, and this is what I enjoy, this and this and so mm-hmm. forth. And depending on the type of scene that you're shooting, you you know, like some of it is sometimes not applicable. Sometimes it's like, okay, cool, we could work this in, this mm. and that and so forth. Um, and yeah, we definitely have a conversation about it beforehand. That way going in, we know like what we can, can't do mm. and so forth. Because um, a lot of it is spontaneous mm. in the in the moment. But you don't want to cross someone's boundary in the moment because you just didn't know. So we do have these conversations and talks beforehand. Oh, okay. Very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I think it's definitely something that um, people should bring into their normal life a little bit more. Oh, for sure. You know, um, I I hear a lot of stories where porn gets blamed a lot where younger Mm. men especially like start doing something like start grabbing a girl by the neck or hair Mm. or something because they saw it in porn. But it's like you need to have that conversation, you know? Mm, that's and true. Sometimes when we're doing, we're very business about it. Like, so do's, don'ts, what's likes, dislikes, <laughs> let's go, let's go, right? Yeah. Like, you don't need to be like that way, but like, you can have that conversation. You can have that, like, sit down, cup of coffee, tea, chat, what do you like, this and this and so forth, have mm. a conversation, get there, understand that, and that way when you get to that point, you know, okay, don't grab her neck, don't mm, pull yeah. her hair, don't yep. do this or that, or she likes these things, okay, this is what I'm gonna do to make sure we're all having a good time, right? Mm. That's a really good, that's a good note for everyone out there. <laughs> How much of it is like choreographed for you? Like, I know even, you know, you wanna play off like what's happening in the moment, but do you have like your certain set of like moves or kind of, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the way you do something that Bridgerton, you know. they have like a choreographer on set to have like oh, make them. Oh, with the sex scenes, yeah, right? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you guys are different performers. It, 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 it depends on the shoot, right? Um, for my own personal content stuff, I like to try to make things as natural flowing mm-hmm. as possible. So I've streamlined my process now to pretty much have two cameras on tripods hitting the angles so that way you don't have to focus on like we don't have to focus on making sure that we're opening up to the certain camera it's sort of just like okay we had our do's and don'ts we had our talk we had our conversation and let's just try to make this look as natural as Mm. like possible but sometimes when you're on a mainstream set it's like hey we need this many minutes from you we need this many positions it needs to be like this and you need to be in this like room where we don't even have a bed. We have a Peloton bike or like a... a <laughs> wow. That is, that's an actual scene I shot, right? Like, um, there's one where it's like we were supposed to be at a karaoke room. There's one where um, I was in a bathroom of a mansion. like, And so it's like, mm. like obviously it's going to be different. It's like, we need to hit these marks. We need to hit this time limit. Yeah. There's only so many positions. So we kind of... I did one uh, about last month where I was in an elevator. So it's like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like it's going to definitely... You kind of got to choreograph those ones a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, for, for a fun content shoot, at least my my content shoots, it's like, no, let's just try to make this as natural on the bed mm. as, as possible. Mm. I shoot my content typically with uh, only other professionals. So you've seen them do all the crazy stuff uh. on all the other videos. So my videos, I try to be like, this is kind of a little more closer to what they would actually be doing, doing. on their own. That's true. Right. That's, we appreciate that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so you talked about kind of like boundaries within um, hmm. like different different people have different boundaries. Right. Do you have like what are your boundaries within your scenes? I, it's, so this goes into because there's so few Asian male performers in the industry now. And um, we actually have the most Asian males performing right now, I think, in the history of the oh. industry ever. And that's like three of us. And um, <laughs> wow. but yeah, that's yeah. still like 300 percent more than that's, what we've yeah, ever before. had before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I'm very cautious about just. Don't do anything that's going to make me look like emasculated Mm. or like follow Asian stereotypes or any of those things like that. 
for the most part, I'm pretty easygoing. I'm very like, hey, what does the role require me? Like, what do I do? I'm, uh, I come at it kind of like, like this isn't me the person. This is me the actor. I'm acting mm. this thing. I'm yeah. playing this role, right? So I'm, that's sort of the, the main thing I'm mm. cautious about. And then just physically, it's sort of like, if you're going to play in my balls, be gentle. They're kind of sensitive, yeah. like that one. And then just, again, like, don't stick anything up my butt. That's a pretty standard across the board. <laughs> Most people have that, unless mm-hmm. it's like an actual anal scene. Yeah, yeah. But even then, it's like, I, I'm not the one. Yeah. You're not paying me enough to get penetrated on camera <laughs> yeah. for that. So we're not doing that. <laughs> like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I love that you were sharing before that you had to actually shoot a scene on a Peloton bike. Right. Can you share with us, like, what is in your memory maybe like a scene or like a job that you had to do that really did not go well? Um. Oh, okay. So I think there was only one time I had a real like mm. issue and it wasn't anything about the shoot or the scene itself. It was just that I was dealing with a personal life issue mm-hmm. that um, had lingered onto that day on set. My co-performer was fantastic. The director is awesome. The set was great. It was one of my very first early scenes and um, massive crew, 20-something people, like a full wow. like movie production type situation. And I do 80, 85% of everything is fantastic. The acting, the lines, so forth, the stills, the photos, everything's good. We get to the, okay, now the final stretch, just have sex on this bed and so forth. And we're having sex and about maybe five, ten minutes into it, the personal issue I was dealing with popped into my mind. And it was um, a a person that I had become fairly close with had ran into some very bad legal troubles. Mm. And I hadn't, we hadn't had a chance to talk or discuss and so forth. And so there was this concern in my head the whole time. I was like, is my friend okay? What's going on? Mm-hmm. I, I haven't talked to this person. I don't know what's going on. And I was just talking to one of her friends earlier that day. So in the middle of the scene, the idea pops in my head, the, the thought pops in my head of just like, did the friend text me back? Is my friend okay? This and mm-hmm. this and so forth. And it starts getting in your head. And I think a lot of men understand this, that the, the, part, the hardest part for a male performer is, you know, just making your dick work. And yeah. it's the one muscle, the one thing that you can't physically control. Mm. It's pure mental, right? Mm-hmm. It's like 100% mental whether or not that thing's going to work or not. And if you're not mentally there, no amount of medication or anything you take is going to work. Yeah. Because even all the medication just makes it easier to get aroused. You still need to be aroused. You still need mm. to mentally be in the moment. And the fact that I got that dark storm cloud that popped mm. in my yeah. head... It got me out of the moment. It got me out of the zone. I started losing my ability to perform. I, you know, told them like, hey, I need like 30 minutes to kind of clear my head because I'm going through some personal stuff. But just because of the timing, it was like I was the afternoon shift. So oh. they were like, hey, we don't have this place for that long. We still got to do voiceovers, this and this and so forth. We don't have 30 minutes for you. You got to either do this now or so forth. And that was the one time I had to be like, I, I can't, I can't. I yeah. have to call it. Like we have to figure out how to hit the angles or whatever, but I, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've been good every other time and, and so forth, but that was just the one was like, if they just gave me 30 minutes to clear my head, get back, reset, refocus and so forth, I, I would have 100% been good. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, just yeah. timing and everything was just like, yeah. no, I, I, I just... Yeah, that's yeah. a really good point. It is something that you can't, it is the one muscle that is mental. Right. Yeah. Some control. I think it's a good reminder because I feel like talking to a lot of like girlfriends share their story sometimes with their sex life. I think it's really, I think as a guy, that's just, it's 
they've shared, you know, and it, it could be really, the guys could be really hard on themselves when that happens. Right. And I feel like it's actually quite normal. Yeah, it's quite common yeah. for, I mean, especially in today's world of stress, I yeah. feel like right. that's like so common. Yeah. And it goes into the thing where like, you know, a lot of guys fantasize and think, oh, I could totally mm-hmm. do this and so yeah, forth. Yeah. And it's like, can you mentally be in your happy place while a crew of 20 strangers that yeah. you just Gosh. met, no like pressure. maybe two hours ago, are staring at you naked while there's a person that might not even necessarily be that into you who's just sitting there looking bored being like are you ready yet oh. while the director's like yo hey we gotta go man Dude, that's, like, that's a, that's... like can you get it up at that point no like <laughs> <laughs> i will answer for myself no yeah. yeah that's the reality and that's a lot of guys when they face the reality of it it's like oh no this is difficult that's why uh the pool for male talent is much smaller than mm. the female talent right yeah. Oh, oh yeah there's just so many less guys who can do this and do it regularly and consistently um, and that's why they get a lot of work and get consistent work. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Dang. Well, thanks for sharing so much about the industry. Yeah. Leo. We do want to end this podcast with like a fun round. Okay. We're going to do a just for like a this or that, okay. like a quick fire round. So the first question is noodles or rice? Ooh, uh, noodles. Ooh. Being in production or self-shooting? Ooh, uh, self-shooting. Doggy style or missionary? Missionary. I, I, I like looking at faces. It's Aww. a thing. <laughs> we had talked about that as well. Lights on or off? Um, low mood light. Because like you don't want the harsh light like interfering with you in the middle yeah. of it. But I still want to see what's going on. I want to see everything, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The visual component. Yes. Yeah. So it's like so shaded. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, thank you so much, Leo, for being on our podcast. This is a really great conversation. I feel like I learned so much. There's so much yet to learn too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, it was great to be here. Thank you guys so much. And if you guys want me for a round too, I'm more than happy to come back. So for let, sure. Well, let our listeners know where they can find yeah. you online or if they want to find your content. Um, you know what the easiest way I tell people you can you can find me on the hub, you can just search Leo Vice. My uh my videos pop up and from there you can get to my profile and from there it'll show you where all my socials and everything is. Oh. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, Instagram and whatnot, that is where the official place to find me at. Mm, <laughs> so. Perfect. Great. Well, listeners, feel free to leave in the comments any questions that you might have for Leo and if you want him back on a second time. Yes. And with that, we'll catch you all in the next episode. Bye. Bye.